Today's episode is dedicated in loving memory of Mr. David Kimowitz. He was the owner of The Stand in New York, and he was tragically taken from us this weekend. Uh, I've blessed to be, play the, the stand every time I go out there. Him, his staff, all of them were so nice, and for this to happen is beyond tragic, beyond sad. Today's episode is dedicated to him. Uh, thoughts and prayers go out to his family, uh, to the Stan family, and to all the comedians uh, in New York who have lost a very important piece of that amazing scene out there. Uh, our hearts go out, and it's super tragic. Uh, you know, comedy took a big hit this weekend, so uh, we're going to miss you, Mr. Kimowitz, and, uh, you know, make God laugh, homeboy, okay? So we appreciate you. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? Revolution will be podcasted. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. You know who I am. You know what I'm here to do. Joining me as always is my partner in crime, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, XG, Xavier Guerrero. What's up, boss? How are you, dude? Good, good. Chilling. A lot of amazing things going on. A lot of amazing things. One of the things I'm super proud to announce is that I will be on an upcoming episode of the CW's Mysteries Decoded. That, that series starts August 13th and you can see that every wednesday night 9 p.m my personal episode will be august 27th i will be investigating the montauk project uh it's an amazing amazing show what's jennifer's last name marshall with the amazing and talented jennifer marshall so go to cw yes they put this face <laughs> on the cw i look good though i've seen some of the shots i look i i am the i'm one of the sexiest guys in the conspiracy world dog according to the show so check it out it's a wonderfully well done i know a lot of people when you think you know television and uh, conspiracies are they gonna give it a fair shake they 100 percent do uh, I really was happy with the final project. It looks good. So please, again, uh, that series starts August 13th on the CW Mysteries Decoded. And my episode is August 27th. So we'll all have a viewing party and we'll all watch it together. And hopefully we'll get huge, huge ratings and everybody will be happy. A lot of big shows coming up here. We have, uh, this Thursday night, I am at the, I'm at Harvell's in Long Beach. We are doing the Sam and his filthy friend show that's an eight o'clock show please show up uh the lineup is stacked then this friday night and saturday it is tinfoil hat comedy night myself eddie bravo will be in st louis and indianapolis okay go grab those tickets you go to samtriplee.com one of them is a 420 show the Saturday uh, show, which yes. is St. Louis, Louis, is the 420 show. I'm excited about it. I love St. Louis. It's a wonderful time. And then following that, we are live. Yes, I'm killing the game here. I'm going to be in Bakersfield at a barbecue joint. It's called Brooklyn's. It's myself, Eddie Bravo, XG, the place to be. We're going to be out there, and our friend uh, Tiger will also be joining us. Those tickets are available, again, at samtriplee.com. And then what would be the next one is uh, uh, Cobbs. 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 Oh, Cobbs. We're back, San Francisco. We're back. September 13th, Cobbs. That was where it first started. We're coming back. We're going to pack it out. Grab your tickets because these shows are selling out. Trust us on that one. Did you have Man, a good time in Sacramento? I had a great time. We crushed that show. Uh, don't forget, you got one more. Um Comedy Chaos. Oh, Comedy Chaos is, thank you so much, Absolute Extract presents Comedy Chaos live August 13th 
I, at the Comedy Store, the lineup is killer. Joey Diaz, Brandon Shaw, Brian Callen, Andrew Santino, my friend from New York who's one of the funniest guys out, Sam Morrell, uh, all there live. That is the 8 p.m. show, and I'm putting together the 10.30 show. The first show will sell out. Grab your tickets to both shows. They will be great. Patreon is on fire. Go to patreon.com backslash tinfoil hat. I'm putting almost three hours of uh, content on there, all right? T-shirts are in fuego, okay? We got these T-shirts right here, that T-shirt right right there. Go to tinfoilhattshirts.com. We also have, I'm on Cameo. Have you heard of Cameo? No. You go to Cameo, you look up Sam Triple. I do personal shout-outs there. You want me to say some weird shit to your boss? You want me to say something to your girlfriend? (laughs) You want me to just yell out weird stuff? Go to cameo.com backslash Sam Triple. Uh, what else? Oh, and make sure if you're watching this on YouTube, please, please hit the subscribe button. Be our friend, right? Hit the subscribe button. And my specials, you can watch them for free, man. What kind of world do we live in where I'm giving out free content like this? Just go to samtriplee.com and you can see both of my shows, both of them live from the Viper Room. Zero Fucks and Armageddon, both live from the Viper Room and for your free. Go to samtriplee.com. Where are we at? What number? Not bad. Not bad. Today's show is going to be excellent. I'm super excited to have this guy on. He's got a book. It's called Eyes in the Sky, The Secret Rise of the Gordon Gorgon Stare and How It Will Watch All of Us. Please welcome to the show, Arthur Holland Michelle. How are you, Arthur? Hi, guys. Good to be here. Look at you just sitting back. <laughs> Looking stunning. Well, it's midnight where I am right now. So uh, where are you? Yeah, you, you, I'm I'm in Spain actually. You do look like you're in Spain. I was going to say that it looks like some weird <laughs> uh, European stuff going on there, but I like it. I like it. What are you doing in Spain? Yeah. Uh, so I'm a visiting scholar at a, a graduate institute here. Ooh, That's look yeah. at you! Does that work with the Spanish chicks? Oh, uh, well, I'm actually here with my wife, so well, of course not quite, you are. Of course uh, you are. That was a test. She asked me to ask the that. The beach is very you nice, though. It. I can you tell totally you passed. Um, I love this. I love the whole thing. What are you doing out there? You just uh, are you giving lectures? Are you doing any kind of TED talks, or what's going on out there? I spend a lot of my life doing lectures. I'm going to be in uh, Copenhagen in a few weeks, so I'm going to Berlin in a couple of days. Right. Um, I I have an invitation to go to Malaysia, but I'll have to see if that'll work out. Giving lots of talks. I'm teaching a class. I do research. I'm a journalist, so I've got stories coming out. It's uh, definitely a busy time. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. You uh, also started something called the Center for the Study of the Drones or of Drones. Uh, tell us a no, little bit about it. No, just the drone. We only study one drone. One, we don't study all the drones. Just, just one, one drone. drone. <laughs> Is it, it, it that that drone have a name like Bob? Do you just study Bob the drone, or is there <laughs> Derek the drone? Derek yeah, the drone. It's Derek the, the little drone. engine next yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little about your center. Yeah, so um, what's well, an interesting story? I was uh, I was actually an, an undergrad at college uh, back in 2012, and. Um, I was doing my academic work about history, about actually something very esoteric, the immigration from Peru to northern New Jersey in the 1960s. Go figure. Yeah. But um, privately, I was very interested in drones. I thought drones were mysterious and complex, and they raised all sorts of scary questions that we hadn't really dealt with as a society. For sure. And so I said, we should study this stuff. And uh, in fact, I I was actually sitting in a bar in Queens. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon and I was with my friend Haresh and suddenly I just had this idea. We need to create a center for the study of the drone at my college. We have to do this. We have to explore this issue. We have to get on top of the of the issue and see what's going on and help people figure it out. And I returned to college. That was in my, my summer uh, going into my senior year, and I returned to campus, and I got a meeting with the president of the college somehow, and I told him about this insane idea, and he said, sure, you know, if you can make it work, go for it, and the rest is kind of history. I mean, now we have this research institute we've been running for six years, and it 
you know, there's no end in sight. I mean, the issue only gets more and more complex. We have more and more work every every year. What is the drone revolution? Well, basically, there are kind of there are two parallel drone revolutions in in the military world. The drone revolution really started in the mid 1990s with a drone called the Predator. There have been drones for like a hundred years. Hold on, there have been drones for a hundred years. Yeah, I mean, or if were you they think hot of a air drone balloon a, a, drones? Yeah, a, rem- a remote control aircraft that has some level of autonomy, right? You get a remote control aircraft, you put some gyroscopes in it, you point it in a general direction. I mean, that's a kind of rudimentary, primitive drone. But obviously, you're not going to be able to do very much with that. Well, in the mid '90s, the, the the Department of Defense starts using a drone called the Predator. And it has a really long endurance time, and it's pretty reliable, and it has a video camera on it, so you can watch your enemies for really extended periods of time. And then, in 2000, they actually managed to strip, uh, strap missiles onto this aircraft. And now you have a drone that can not only watch your enemies, but it can also kill them. And suddenly, people realize that this is a really powerful technology. And that sort of sparks off this revolution on the military side. And then there's the civilian revolution, and that comes a little bit later. Basically, for, again, you know, decades and decades, there have been drones, remote control aircraft. But in order to fly one of these things, you need to be like a really dedicated dude in your parents' basement, you know, <laughs> soldering and putting all the plywood bits together. And there you go in your anorak and... You, you go to some park with, with your friends and you fly these vehicles that are really difficult to operate, really finicky, and you need a lot of time, right? right. So there's just naturally only going to be so many people who have the dedication to do that. So And uh, then – sorry, sorry, and then – and then you have some advances that make these aircraft much easier to fly. And suddenly you have these drones called multi-copter drones, which are basically these helicopters with a few rotors. Most people have you know, those are the ones I now. see at the dog park freaking out the dogs. The dogs don't know a drone. Exactly. My dog doesn't like exactly. balloons. It can't even comprehend <laughs> a, 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 a drone. drone. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's the guy or gal flying that drone probably guy. isn't someone who had to spend ages in their basement. You know, it's probably someone who just went on Amazon, thought it would be cool to buy a drone. And these things are so sophisticated now that really anyone can fly one. And that was the, that was the change. That was the revolution. Suddenly you have this accessible technology and everybody wants to use it. In fact, I was a few years ago in upstate New York hanging out at a waterfall, sort of lounging on the rocks, and I saw a drone hovering overhead. I had no idea who was flying it. And I can assure you that the guy, probably a guy flying that (laughs) drone, uh, you know, wasn't someone who was really dedicated to this, like, hobby and had built it himself. I mean, this was just a drone that he'd bought for 1500 bucks on Amazon, but he's the one who ended up losing because he's got the retinal scarring image of my pasty white body <laughs> lounging on the rocks. <laughs> so, uh, so, so yeah, that's the drone revolution for you. Have sure. you used one yet? Have I used yeah, a drone? like a drone? Like those? I ones mean, like, like I, a- I've shot television multiple times uh, with drones. I mean, but I don't. You don't own one. Fly yeah. a drone myself. Why no. have you? It's pretty easy. Yeah, like the like the ones you give like kids. You get the little ones. Yeah, they're like those little ones. They're like a hundred bucks. Yeah, they're not like they're pretty. They're getting pretty cheap now. Well, the whole thing is to get children hooked on stuff. So when they grow up and they advance, it's not that weird of a stuff. It's like it's why Starbucks sells kid frappuccinos. You know, it's like you get the kids going early to Starbucks. By the time they get, I'm like nothing's worse than going to Starbucks and being aligned behind like five. 12-year-olds trying to get So I'm like, dude, I need yeah. caffeine to feel 12. Get out of my way, kid. You know, uh, should man be afraid of drones? Is, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of dark applications that drones will be used for. Should man be afraid of the drone revolution? Yeah. I mean, if the drone revolution isn't controlled, if we allow this technology to just proliferate unfettered with absolutely no regulations and no defenses, then, yeah, I mean, some really bad stuff can happen with this technology. Imagine 
someone decides to strap some C4 to that drone and fly it into a crowded stadium. Not only is that going to kill some people, but it's also going to spark a mass panic, right? I mean, and that's not a high technological threshold, right? We're not talking about chemical or biological weapons. I mean, if you put some kind of explosive on a drone, you now have a rudimentary but effective cruise missile, in a sense. Right. And yeah, I mean, we need to, we need to deal with that. No one's going to tell you that we, we shouldn't deal with that. There are a lot of positive applications. And in fact, even the people who are pushing the positive applications are worried about the negative stuff because that first time that a drone, I don't know, collides with an airplane or is used in a domestic terrorist attack, then, you know, the authorities are really going to clamp down on the technology as a whole. So a lot of people are kind of on edge about what's happening at the moment with all this stuff. Well, the well, cartel's been using them to cross drugs over through the border. Oh, really? Yeah. They've, they've, they've caught, like, immigration has shot them down, and they, like, you just, like I said, you buy a drone, stick the drugs to it from Mexico, cross it over, Who you gonna, who's going to get arrested? I mean, And prisons as well. Prisons, drones yeah. are really popular for smuggling contraband into, mm-hmm. uh, into prisons. I mean, it happens on a really? daily basis. Is that a Absolutely, big issue? Yeah. Drones and yeah. drugs going to prisons? Oh, they found drones with tens of thousands of dollars of contraband. Tobacco, cell phones, weapons, drugs. And again, I mean, you know, you buy a drone for a couple of hundred dollars. You park your car, you know, a mile from the prison. If it fails, no one's going to catch you. And if you and if it works, then, I mean, you've you've just... You know, you, you, it's, it's like walking into the prison and delivering the drugs by hand. It seems like drones represent this move by man to become less and less connected to their fellow human being. Like what we've seen now is, again, where we have these these tech nerds, no disrespect to anybody, but these tech nerds who keep saying that robots and and uh, self self-driving cars uh, and we're, we're seeing where like uh, Amazon which already doesn't pay anything to its workers wants to now use drones to deliver packages like uh, is this just another move to disconnect man from his fellow man it's an interesting question you know I always think of the drone as actually an uh, just another attempt of man to project himself into places that he can't traditionally get to, right? The sky was always this pretty inaccessible place. You needed to have a lot of money. You needed to have a lot of time. You needed a big airplane. And now you can sort of capture that space with not a lot of effort or energy or or money. Uh, You know, I'd, I'd have to think about the question of sort of connectedness. I'm sure there are a lot of people who would say that the technology is bringing people together by, yeah, doing deliveries. There was just a story about how there was this very remote uh, tribe in the Grand Canyon uh, that during elections has trouble delivering its uh, vote tallies to a central counting office. And so now the idea is that they will deliver those documents by drone. (laughs) I mean, that, that seems to be a pretty... Uh, positive application. But then when you think about Amazon and some of its ideas, that begins to raise uh, some definite questions that a lot of people are going to really have to wrap their minds around before you know that actually starts happening military at a wide scale. Ap- military applications are what scares me because mm. the movement to drone wars, uh, what it does is it takes away the boots on the ground, which is an emotional investment. Now, I'm anti-war. I don't like war. I think getting rid of the draft has allowed us to disconnect from the emotional uh, toll that war takes. And this war, this emotional toll, both on us and those we are fighting, uh, is what makes us want to stop the war. Uh, being on the ground, being in wherever we are, the the other country, and we see that our, it's like when animals, when an animal is defeated, it will take a posture that the other animal knows, I am no longer fighting back, this fight is done, and yeah. in some things it stopped. You know, that's kind of what happens in war. When we invade a place and we see, okay, these people have uh, surrendered, we can stop with the war. But 
I feel that is going to go away as we now use drones to do most of our attacking. Do you, do you see that as an issue? Well, it's, it's interesting. So there is this perception that drones make killing easier. And there is certainly a grain of truth to that. But I've also spoken to a lot of drone pilots who've had real experience. I mean, people who've killed you know, killed people on the battlefield, numerous people. And the experience that I get from them is that that is actually the opposite of what their experience looks like. They approach their job with a level of seriousness and a level of gravity. In fact, some of them will argue that um, they have no choice but to take the act of killing more seriously because unlike, a, say, a sniper who's really far away from his enemy and can only uh, sort of engage with their enemy through the, through the, through the scope, right, a little right. dot, right. a drone pilot sees their enemy sometimes for days and weeks on end before they kill them in HD detail. And then... They put a missile on that person, and then not only do they do that, but then they have to orbit over the area, and once the smoke has cleared, they have to do what's called a battle damage assessment, and they have to look at all the scattered limbs and see the people who maybe didn't die but got severely injured, and they're not allowed to look away. Now, you can imagine that that probably wouldn't give you a a blasé attitude towards killing. Now, there have been stories about drone pilots who have attended their job in in that kind of casual way. But we also hear stories about soldiers on the battlefield who are in the fight that, you know, are pretty flippant about uh, killing, too. But it, it raises an important question, and a lot of people, even within military circles, are talking about that question. I think it's a, a valid question to be asking. Well, as we know, I, and I think that might have be changing now with Donald Trump, but you know, Obama was called the drone president. Mm-hmm. That he uh, was drone striking the shit out of everybody. And the rumor was that these drone strikes were missing their targets at like a 90% clip. Uh, any thoughts on that? Like, that this is kind of the new war that we might be going into? I mean, there is a, there is a lot of uh, disagreement as to how accurate those drone strikes were and whether you can even sort of draw some of those conclusions because of all the mystery that these drone strikes were shrouded in. I mean, the, the CIA has hardly even acknowledged that it can, conducts a lot of these drone strikes. But it, the 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 real question for me is regardless of whether these strikes are accurate or not is it a good policy is it going to bring the war on terror to a timely end or is it just going to perpetuate this conflict because there have been accounts from these areas Yemen Pakistan Somalia where people who weren't radicalized weren't part of a terrorist group uh, saw someone they knew be killed in a drone strike, and that turned them against the U.S. Right. right? Is that going to bring an end to the war? Uh, perhaps not. You know, it raises a question about whether you are getting short-term gains at the cost of long-term losses. And again, you know, it's kind of hard to know because we these areas are so hard to access. It's hard to sometimes get into the psychology of what effect they have. The issues so complicated. Maybe a drone strike is a sort of overly simple solution to a complex issue. Uh, it's 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 really hard to tell. I mean, in policy circles, we've been debating that question for for a really long time. In the government, I'm sure people have been debating that policy question for a really long time. Look, here's here's a, an interesting policy question that people in the administration have talked about. Is it better or more valuable to kill a suspected terrorist or to capture them. Under the Bush administration, the preference was often to capture. And why did you capture someone? Well, because you could interrogate them and that could potentially yield useful information about the terrorist group. Well, what's the problem with that? Interrogation, in this case... Didn't often work. meant torture. Yeah, and right? none of the information actually went. And a lot of the people that they grabbed and brought down to Guantanamo Bay 
a large chunk of them had nothing to do with it. They were just swept up in these raids and they were thrown in there and then we radicalized them. And then people get so weirded out when they're like, this guy was in Guantanamo and then we let him free. And now he's like, like a jihadist. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. What do you want this guy? I mean, like this guy was like doing nothing. You swept him up. You, you made him do naked pyramids at Guantanamo. And then you wonder why he's pissed, man. It's it, it's this is weird disconnect. And listen, your job is you're not an advocate for drones. That's you're not the you know the PR person for drones. I want people to understand that that's not what you're here for. I, these are just questions I have that I I, oh, I would I would like to ask. I want people to really know that you're you're not like making cash off of drones. You actually are here to kind of raise awareness of drones and their applications in uh in what we're doing. And that's why I want to bring up to your book, uh, eyes in the skies, the secret rise of Gorgon stare and how it watches all of us. Tell us a little bit about your book. Sure. So when I was, uh, doing research at the, at at the center at, at Bard, you know, I mean, we're talking about drones, we're talking about flying robots. I spent a lot of time looking at all sorts of pretty scary technologies, you know, missiles and swarms and all sorts of nightmarish things. But in a way, there was one technology that I kept returning to. There was one technology that I found myself thinking about before I went to sleep at night. And it was this this, this series of really powerful aerial cameras that in some cases could watch a whole city at once. And very little was known about these cameras. We knew that they operated aboard some drones and some other aircraft and that the U.S. uh, military used them in Afghanistan and Iraq. But I felt like there was a story there. And so I decided to look into it a little deeper. And that turned into this book, which is about these sort of godlike aerial surveillance systems. Their fascinating history and also where they're headed to next, because I'm afraid to break it to you, but this technology is coming home. You know, it doesn't stay in the military sphere indefinitely. And we're seeing the proliferation of this technology domestically. We're seeing it trickle down in all sorts of different ways. And so, yeah, that's that was four years of my life. I have the book <laughs> uh, here, and, um, and it came out uh, about a month and a half ago. Well, congratulations on that. I mean, we look at going back to the drones, and we'll get back to Gorgon. uh, I mean, when we had the Native Americans in North Dakota, there was all these rumors that they were using weaponized drones against them. Uh, We've seen where we've, uh, there's now, like, they were bragging about putting flamethrowers on (laughs) drones. I don't know. Does anyone else sleep okay knowing that drones have flamethrowers on them? I mean, that's like, a, that's just, that's what happens when that comes back to the United States. Like, that's real application shit. Yeah, there's actually, the, you, you raised two interesting points. In North Dakota, there were some of those rumors, but also some of the protesters were using the drones yeah. to gather video of the tactics of the riot police, sometimes tactics that were, you know, considered overly um, sort of heavily handed. And so it became this really powerful tool for citizen journalism and surveillance, that is, watching the watchers. On the flamethrower thing, there's a funny story there. It's been in the news again recently because this company just said that they have a flamethrower for drones. But do you know who was the pioneer of the flamethrower drone? Who? It was an 18-year-old kid in Connecticut who first came— Can we add virgin? Can we add virgin to (laughs) that? I don't know. Okay. I mean, you know, I'm, uh, yeah, perhaps. You never know. You yeah, can make you your own know. assumptions. Oh, I don't even want to but see. But he first came to national attention <laughs> by attaching a handgun to a drone. And Who everyone freaked out. Who is this kid? Why is this kid? Uh, who is he, man? Like, I gotta, like, someone gotta talk to this kid. He's going down a dark path. He's putting handguns on drones. And then, so he put a handgun on a drone. It made worldwide headlines. I'm pretty sure he got a visit from the FBI. And then a couple of months later, he put a flamethrower on a drone and was like, what up? I'm not going to stop. 
and you know again giving a ton of people nightmares people in really high places with thinking about that and staying awake at night thinking about how to protect the country and it was a 19 year old kid who was doing it i see lex luther in his future um it's very interesting. So let's get back to your book and in the, in the center of that book, which is the Gorgon Stare. Am I pronouncing that? I'm a, I'm a butcher of words. Yeah. Uh, Gorgon, Gorgon Stare. Tell us a little about what is the Gorgon Stare. So the Gorgon Stare is a gigantic camera. Uh, to put it in perspective, uh, the size of a camera is measured in megapixels, Okay. Uh, your iPhone, it has about a 12 megapixel camera, right? The Gorgon Stare has 1.8 billion pixels. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's, it's absolutely gigantic. And they put this thing. Yeah, there you go. And they, they put this thing on a drone and it can watch a truly vast area. Now, why would you want to watch a truly vast area? Because maybe you don't know what you're looking for from the outset, right? Traditional drones, they have like, their cameras like telescopes. They're good for looking at a particular patch of ground, but that only works if you know what, where to look in the first place. Maybe you have a city and you know that bad stuff is going to happen, but you don't know where it's going to happen. So you just watch everything at once. It's like putting a big old CCTV uh, camera like you have in you know, your corner store over a city. And the second something bad happens, you rewind to that spot in time and you zoom into the footage. And the footage is so huge that you can zoom into it while the camera records the whole area. Right. It's like zooming in on your phone where, you, you know, you move your fingers apart. Right. And then you see what happened. And not only that, the camera's been watching for all this time. So whoever was involved in that incident, say it was a terrorist attack. Now you can rewind the footage and see where they came from. And then you can move forward in the footage and see where they went. Not only that, once they go, I don't know, you rewind and you see that they went back to a house. Well, now you have a house that is associated with this suspicious activity. You're probably going to be interested in whoever else visited that yeah, house. Yeah, okay, yeah. you just watch the footage and see whatever other vehicles come to that location. You follow them back to wherever they go to, and now you have a picture of the network that you're up against. And it is a technology that has been used very extensively, but very secretively by the Air Force in uh, Afghanistan, I Iraq, and Syria. And it continues to fly to this day. There's a fleet of drones that have this technology. It's probably being used in the fight against ISIS, or what's left of ISIS. Uh, and that's just one of these cameras. That's just one type of one of these wide area cameras. There are a bunch of other aircraft that carry them uh, and they're only going to get more popular. A lot of other mil militaries are interested in, in them, for example. So this is kind of a for peek sure. into the future. Well, I, I want to get back to the practical applications. I, I, you know, it's, when I hear that we're like, we're using this on Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, and we see these, you know, the history that we have with why we went into these countries, the history that we have with funding these other, these bad guys that, you know, these bad guys are out here, they hate our freedom, and then we find out over and over again that we're the ones that not only funded them, we trained them, we warmed them, and then we pointed them in where we wanted to go. That really, really, like, uh, and again, this is not you, this is, this is the U.S. government, and my problem with this application of that this is going to be used to fight terrorism, when we all know it's state-sponsored, it's state-sponsored, like, this is just more, for me, big brother, big business, trying to control investments, and then it comes back to, like, when does this come back to us? When does mm -hmm. this technology come back and when is it going to be used against us? And because everybody loves all this stuff when it's used on the, the bad guys, okay? But when do you see this? Has it happened? Like, I, I don't know if I read it right, but somewhere in Baltimore, it's yep. being yep. used. Like, now we're going back into, okay, now we're using our U.S. citizens and what is the applications of that? 
Yeah. You know, it, I spoke to a lot of the guys who created this technology, and it's a fascinating story that they have. I actually, one of the guys, I mean, a lot of these guys, and invariably they're, they're men, there are very few women involved in this space. I only interviewed a handful of women, um, incredible women, I, I should note, but it's kind of male-dominated, so I say guys. I reached one guy who'd been critical in the development of this technology. It was very hard to get a hold of him. These guys are pretty secretive. And when I finally reached him, he said, you know, Arthur, I've been waiting for this call for 15 years. And I said, why? And he said, because we have to answer for what we've done. And so basically, this is what happened. You had a, a bunch of government engineers, and they got given this problem, essentially, that the government wants to use this technology to stop IED attacks, that is, improvised explosive devices, these suicide bombings that were having a heavy toll on U.S. forces. And they were gung-ho about that. And they put their heart and soul into this application, but they very soon realized that the cat, once it's out of the bag, never goes back. And yeah. now they're contending with this reality that the technology, you know, is going to take on a life of its own. And that is exactly what uh, has happened, and, and sometimes intentionally on the part of these groups. So you're right, in Baltimore, the city of Baltimore, really actually the police department, it ran a surveillance program with one of these cameras built in a design that was basically, uh, you know, very closely taken from a military design that had been used in Iraq. And they watched the city for 100 days in 2016. 32 square miles, they saw thousands of crimes committed. Uh, I actually went to, to Baltimore while this operation was happening. And it was totally secret at the time. In, in fact, the Baltimore Police Department had not told the mayor they had not told the state uh, state legislature, the city council, the public defender. I mean, it's kind of like a bit of a roguish operation. And uh, and there it was. I went into the operation center and saw how you could watch the entire city, wow. and saw how you know I sat in on a briefing for these Baltimore detectives about a murder, because a guy had been murdered in broad daylight, and the camera had been used to track the murderers. Oh back in time to where they had come from and forward, showing everywhere they had gone to. And one of the detectives said it was the best briefing he had seen in 25 years on the force. He said that nothing like this existed before at the disposal oh, of someone trying to solve these, these, these murders. And totally unprecedented. And then the, the program was finally revealed. And there was a lot of public pushback particularly because it had been kept secret and it was it was closed down. But that company continues to push for the use of this technology. Now they want it to be used in St. Louis. And not only that, they want to give it for free to St. Louis because they're so committed to showing that this technology can actually help uh, solve lives. And the guy who runs this company, Ross McNutt, former Air Force colonel, he is determined to have one of these over every city in the US. And he thinks, and perhaps part of what he says is true, that this will really reduce crime, perhaps by up to 30%. And there'll be violent crime that will be eliminated in all of these cities because this eye in the sky is watching over us. We also have to ask, what's the cost of that, right? Or where are the limitations of this crime fighting going? I mean, I mean, again, I'm speaking for myself, not for you at all. I will. You know, these are my words and my 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 belief is, you know, it's like these vices that are illegal, whether it's drugs, prostitution and stuff like that, that I believe are just tools to to incarcerate the poor. And to fill our jails up. like Or like, let's say when we drive... The, you remember when we were driving back from Sacramento and we didn't see one cop and we're going 85 miles an hour? Yep. Am I going to gun a, to get a ticket when it's like back in the day, it's like, hey, dude, free ride, dog, enjoy that. Now I got to be like on an empty road going 65 because some fuckface robot is snitching on me, right? Oh. I mean, like, like, what are the... 
See, that's my whole problem. Like, I, like ideally, like I, I don't think anyone would ever go, listen, man, solve that murder. I think we all would be like, solve the murder, man. But it's like when it, it's this slippery slope that we see gets into like prostitution, which like we can have a moral discussion. But at the end of the day, it's like. Why is that legal and and sugar dating not? And I know you're not here to talk about that, but like, are, is there any concern? No, my, yeah, that's not my field. I'm right, 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 right. But uh, is there any fears on that? That like now we're gonna get down to misdemeanors and jaywalking. Like how how far can this go? You're not even gonna get pulled over. You're just gonna get a ticket in the mail. Right? They're just going to tell you, like, we saw your car going over 70. Here's a little picture Arthur, of you. Arthur, fun fact. I am 17 and 3 in traffic court. I, in <laughs> fact, beat uh, a camera ticket. So just to let you know what. I, I, I battled the robots before, and I've, in fact, won. But is that something to worry I, about? I'd, I'd love to see how you stack up against one of these. I've, I've, I've reviewed <laughs> a lot of the, the test footage from these cameras, and it is remarkable how easily you can see traffic violations. I mean, it is kind of incredible. You see a car pull out onto a multi-lane street, and it crosses a lane. You know how you're actually supposed to turn onto your closest yeah. lane? Maybe you cross the lane just for convenience. Well, you can see that clear as day in, in this footage. Here's a prediction for you that I came up with in the book. In, let's say, 20 years, we're all going to be required to have our license plates on our roofs because that's one limitation of this technology. You can see a car doing 85 miles an hour, but you Mm -hmm. can't see its license plate. Now, you can cross-check that footage against some CCTV footage or a license plate reader, but yeah, it's probably just going to be easier to put our license plates on our our roof, uh, you know, the roofs of our cars and... um, you know, it's kind of funny. You also mention that there is this slippery slope. I, this is how I put it. You know, we all want to solve crimes. We all want to solve especially violent crimes. Right. I actually witnessed a murder in Brooklyn a what few years like? ago. A murder that probably could have been, you know, solved. Or not. A, it wasn't actually a murder. The kid very luckily survived. But he was very severely injured. He was shot in the gut. He was 19 years old. And... This technology probably could have solved that crime. And who am I to say that we shouldn't have this technology to to bring these people to account? But in Baltimore and other cities, the technology has also been used to uh, investigate illegal dumping. You know, that's not super high in our sort of list of crimes we want to crack down on. No, we can probably all agree that we don't want to see illegal dumping. But this is what it gets to. The people who use the technology should not be the ones who get to decide what it's used for. Because in the eye of a police department with one of these, tech, one of these cameras, everything probably looks like a nail. And you've got a big old, a big old hammer, hammer in the yeah. sky. Yeah. Right? And maybe you have a protest and people are exercising their legitimate First Amendment rights to assemble. Well, you can now use this camera to track every single protester back to the home. And regardless of whether you as a police officer are completely convinced that you are serving the just cause of security in your community, because a lot of these these folks probably are, that is kind of beside the point because we have a right to assemble peacefully written into the Constitution for a reason. And so we need to make sure that these rules are implemented to ensure that the technology doesn't impinge upon that, does not intrude upon that too much. In the absence of those rules, the technology will be abused. That much is absolutely clear. I mean, let's, I don't want to be all super negative about this because there are some really good applications of it, like falsely accusing somebody of murder, like we will see that these people who have been false, and it happens way more than we want to believe. I'm very anti-death penalty because of the incredible rot that racism just infects the capital punishment in this country. You know, we're going to be able to see. Like, I mean, like, I know people are going to think I'm joking here, but let's take, you know, making of a murderer on Netflix. I mean, like, there is a lot of discussion about where he was, where his relatives were, where this Teresa lady was, God rest her soul, where she was, where they moved the 
car, this would 100% clean that all up. You know what yeah. would have helped too? So I'll give you- it would have helped in Katrina. Oh, yeah. A lot of the people were on the roofs. They yeah. could have just put that over, known where everybody was at, and yeah. just picked them up real yeah. quick. But back to the murder, right? What were you saying real quick? Oh, so, you know, you can use the technology to make sure that a search warrant was acquired legitimately and that it wasn't a police officer who was lying about the suspicious activity that was visible outside of a home in order to get a warrant to search inside of it. Because you can look at the camera footage and see that actually this was a completely normal suburban home that had no abnormal vehicle vehicle activity outside of it. You can use the technology to audit police accounts of officer-involved shootings, for example, where you get one report from the police and then maybe from the eye in the sky you see that that doesn't necessarily hold up or that it does hold up, but it provides a a check on on those types of situations. So nobody's denying that the technology has very positive applications. And again, you know, if we have the capability to, yeah, like, you know, save people from their rooftops yeah. in a Katrina-like situation. Someone's lost in the forest, right? Perfect. You can find out where they went and, uh, and, you know, at least know where they started. And if it's not too dense, you'll be able to see where maybe they are right now. No need for Amber Alerts. Yeah. Yeah, that's another there you thing. Go. Amber alerts. Yeah. The same so the same guy who said to me that he'd been waiting for my call for 15 years also said that he would finally rest in his journey, in his endeavors to bring this technology into the mainstream when he can prove that the technology has stopped an amber alert in pro, in progress. And he says then that. I've done my job. You know, I've done my part for, for society. But again, it's not quite that simple because, yeah, you could maybe stop Amber Alerts. But if there's no control over what the technology can and cannot be used for, then the very same day, even in that same set of footage, you could also use it to do all sorts of unspeakable things. And so that's why there needs to be a conversation about what uh- this stuff looks like how it works, what we can do about it. Based on the time that you were there, did you see any, did, did you see any real life police enforcement going on? Did you see like, okay, they saw that they went and they got that guy. Did you see any of that while you were there? Yeah. So uh, on the second day I was in Baltimore, the, the, the president of the company, he called me up and said, Hey, Arthur, uh, I'm going to be giving a briefing to three Baltimore detectives about a murder you're not really supposed to be there, so just walk into the briefing room and sit in the back and don't say anything. Now, I know as a journalist that I, uh, no police department is going to let me in on an ongoing investigation. So I walk into this room, try not to make eye contact with the three detectives who just shoot their stares over at me, and I sit in the room as quietly as possible. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, they tracked all of these murder suspects. And actually, those leads were used to arrest uh, an individual on the suspicion of that murder. And the detectives involved said that that guy probably would have gone free had it not been for uh, for that the, the, the technology. So, yeah, I, I saw it in progress. How clear is the picture? You ever see the stories where they're like, NASA's got a picture of Saturn and it's crispy clear. And then you got a picture of this guy who with a backpack that throws and it's like a pixelated picture from a satellite. <laughs> like how clear was the picture of the suspects? Like how much of their face or could you yeah. make out from this? So very little. In fact, the the principle of this technology is that because you want to watch as wide an a wider area as possible, you um, really sacrifice detail. So vehicles and people they really only appear as tiny little dots on the screen. But that's all you need because with this technology, all you want to do is follow them. And then once you know where they've gone oh. and where they've they've come from, then you can cross check that or you can actually go to that address. So maybe you can catch up to the person in the footage. They go from a murder scene directly to a home. You send a squad car to that address and you knock on the door, right? Or if you don't have that option, you just locate a person at a particular point in time and at a particular place and then you just pull up the the CCTV feed and there you've got it. You've got a, you know, you've got a close-up shot 
of them. Um, but the the footage itself is very, you know, if you've seen the movie Enemy of the State, it looks exactly like that's that. why and I wanted to get into that. It, this whole thing comes from this movie. Uh, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the history and how the movie Enemy of State, which stars Will Smith and Hugh Jackman, and they always had it. Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman, Gene excuse Hackman. me. Gene Hackman. Yeah. Uh, Aaron got very upset. I can say a million <laughs> things, but get my movie <laughs> trivia wrong, and my, my engineer <laughs> flips out. I could say a million things, but get, the, get that wrong. Now, uh, one of my favorite things uh, from that movie, and it, it always resonated with me, was like, it's it's not a conspiracy if they're really after. You. I think that was the line, or it's uh, you're not paranoid if they're really coming after you. And I, as a someone who does a podcast called Tinfoil Hat, that that always resonated with me. Um, can you tell us kind of how this movie influenced this technology? Yeah, it's it's amazing. So when I was sitting in on that murder investigation in Baltimore, at the end of the briefing. One of the detectives said, I mean, he was kind of lost for words. He was flabbergasted. And then he finally said, you know, it's like that movie. It looks exactly like that movie, Enemy of the State. Right? And I kind of fell off my chair because, I mean, I didn't literally because then they would have been very suspicious of me. <laughs> um, it turns out that that's not a coincidence. Now, that movie came out in 1998. And as, as you know, it's all about how the government has all of this insane surveillance technology. They, they use it to track Will Smith. They put trackers in his clothes. They put cameras in his house. But by far the most incredible sort of gadget that the, the government has, the thing that really captured people's imaginations the most, was this surveillance satellite that can watch Will Smith wherever he goes over a vast area and you know it, it kind of resonates with what you're saying you know it's not a conspiracy if it's actually happening well people talk about that satellite and like no the government doesn't really have anything like that that's pure fantasy well a government engineer from this uh, nuclear lab called the lawrence livermore national laboratory uh, in california he went to see that movie at the movie theaters in 1998 with his wife on a date night and whereas everybody else in the audience was no doubt horrified by what they saw on, steam, on screen, he was thrilled. He thought it was the best thing he'd ever seen. He was absolutely mesmerized. He thought, wow, if only the government actually had something like this. Imagine all the cool things we could do. And he rushed home and he put in a call with his supervisor and he said, hey, I have a great idea. Call me back. And that sparked off this effort to basically create a very large digital camera that could watch a very, very large area. Now, originally, their, their concept was not to follow Will Smith around. Originally, their idea was to watch uh, suspected nuclear sites in, in places like Iraq and Syria. Uh, but no one had money for that. And so then they decided, well, maybe the technology could be used for watching insurgent groups in Iraq, these, these folks who are planting suicide, you know, who are setting off suicide attacks and car bombs. And that's when the CIA got involved and saw that idea and was so mesmerized by it that, that, that the agency threw its weight behind this pretty scrappy experimental development project in sort of a random corner of this lab. And then it went to war. And it got rushed to war. And its first deployment was in 2006. And you know what the crazy thing is? And, and again, I mean, it, it hasn't stopped since. So 2006 was the first deployment. There have been dozens of systems deployed since then. The crazy thing is, if you look at the screenshots from the Enemy of the State movie, and you look at the actual real screenshots from this technology, they're basically the same you could not tell one from the other especially to an untrained eye i mean really they created exactly that capability from the movie the only difference is it's not on a satellite but as i point out in the book it's only so long until we do actually see these gigantic video cameras on satellites and what that gives us is basically and don't freak out but basically google earth but moving. Imagine oh that. Oh my God. Oh my God. Here's what's interesting to me. I I remember being a kid watching the Terminator movie for the first time. And the opening scene of that movie is this robot walking on skulls. 
okay? And above yeah. it is this flying killing machine. And I, yeah. that thing always haunted my nightmares, man. Haunted my nightmares. I always remember that killing machine. And then drones start coming out. I go, did these guys watch the Terminator movie? This yeah. thing... But actually, if, if we have a moment where AI actualizes itself, and like it's like I am a thing, and it mm-hmm. those things become Terminators. Yeah, yeah, no, and and I mean, there's the, they're kind of shameless about making these things as scary as possible. I mean, this 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 system's called Gorgon Stare. You know, it's not called fluffy bunny rabbit ears. It's called Gorgon Stare, and that's intentional. And the idea is that you want to scare people. As as one document I found put it, you want to give people the, the 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 sense that you can read their mind essentially. You can read their intentions. You can know what they're going to do next. Uh, and so yeah, you have all sorts of really scary systems. There's a new drone. I encourage you to look it up. It's called Skyborg. Well, it's a program to develop these Sky drones. Sky what? That- Skyborg. Borg? Skyborg. So like the Borg. Cyborg, okay. but Skyborg. These yeah, guys. Skyborg in the sky. These guys. Yeah. These guys. They're yeah. Just, <laughs> this is what happens, ladies. This is what happens when you don't date nerds, okay? They want revenge <laughs> upon everybody, okay? This is. Did you. Did, okay, we'll get to Skyborg for two, in two seconds. Did you ever go to these guys going, hey, dog, uh, this is a lot like what the Matrix warned us about. Do you have any concerns about that? Did you ever ask well, him this? Oh, no. So in every single interview, I, I spoke to dozens of the guys involved in, in these programs. In every single interview, I had the intention of not exactly asking that question, but you know, getting to a discussion about, is this stuff dangerous? Should we be welcoming this stuff into our lives? What are its dangers? How could it be abused? And you know what? With very few exceptions, every single one of them brought up the dangers of this technology before I had a chance to get to it. They are all intimately aware of the dangers of the technology, how it can be used for ill. I think that's why it doesn't always sit well with them, what they've done. Now, a lot of them are very apologetic about it, but others are like, hell no, we need regulations. Now, they're not always willing to say what those regulations should be. But, yeah, I mean, they really understand the gravity of, of, of what they've done. Now, why they give these things terrifying names, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. That's, uh, there's some deep psychology there. Perhaps, now, tell into. us about the, what's it called, the Skyborg? What is this nightmare that won't let me sleep for the next two weeks? Skyborg is essentially an Air Force program to develop what's called a loyal wingman drone. Now, what is a loyal wingman? It's not what you're thinking. It's a drone that flies alongside a fighter jet and basically serves as that fighter jet's accomplice. So let's say the pilot in the fighter jet is flying around an area and you know, sees an area off in the distance and says, oh, I want to know what's going on there. So he directs the, the mm-hmm. Skyborg drone to go into that area and figure out what's going on there. Maybe see if there are enemy positions or radar sites. And in theory, could even direct that Skyborg drone to take those enemies out. And the whole idea with the Skyborg drone is that it's very autonomous. So that you really have to just give it very top-line instructions. Things like, you know, go surveil that area and then it kind of figures out uh the rest it's unbelievable i mean like we're fighting like indonesia i mean like i've been to afghanistan the people you see these they're like there's they're just so simple i just i remember being at a uh a football game and oh no it was a, a, a dodger game and the stealth bomber just flew over and it was quiet I've never seen anything like it. And I go, we're fighting villagers. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what, at what point do we got like, okay, we're going to dominate this stuff. I mean, like, we're going to own it. It just, it's, I, I don't know who we're building this to fight other than ourselves at some point. And I still don't get well, why they're so know, long. Why, why have we been there for so long? Oh, we know why, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It would be easy if we really wanted to take over. Well, we, it's just unbelievable what we just keep building. I mean, 
That shit looks crazy. I mean, the idea with the Skyborg drone is that it's not about fighting villages in rural Afghanistan. It's about fighting Russia or China. Yeah, a lot of the technology really is, we're seeing yeah. now is preparing for uh, for the next war, and there's something pretty worrying about that. Now, is there any chance these guys are putting in a like a a, 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 fuck, a turn off switch somewhere? <laughs> We're like, oh, man, I self-actualize. Okay, you're done. Shut it down. You know, like, that's the whole thing. Like, is there a moment, something that if this technology turns against us, we as human beings can stop it? You know, I, I'm depending on who you ask, there's very varying levels of sort of pessimism and optimism on that point. I personally am kind of optimistic on that point, and I'll tell you why. If you talk to any senior military commander, they will tell you that it is so important to have strict control over your soldiers. You don't want your soldiers just running around doing whatever they please. And the same principle is going to apply with autonomous weapons. No commander is going to want to use a technology that he or she can't keep very tight control over. So my sense is that at least in the short term, there's actually not going to be any interest in creating something that could self-actualize or would be capable of really complex you know, long endurance operations on its own, because then you lose that that level of control, and nobody is willing to do that. It gets a little messy when you look really deep into the crystal ball and you think about what things might look like and say, I don't know, twenty one hundred. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I you know, who knows? Fortunately, we'll all be long gone by then thank god thank god i mean these people want to live forever no thank you dude it's just gonna get weirder and weirder so my question to you honest question is what do you think takes down mankind first ai drones or these new sex robots that just like are just looking like more and more real to the point where it's just like why am i putting up with human being chicks when i could just be Begging Lucy over here. Like, what do you think? I'd have to say the sex robots. Yeah, man. I'm coming, worried dude. about the sex robots. It's just going to do all sorts of messed up things to uh, <laughs> collective psychology. I mean, the union between two human bodies is so fundamental to culture. It's given rise to all sorts of things. Poetry and art and wars have been fought over it. And people are trying to get rich because of that, you know, trying to get exactly that and now you're just going to have a robot that can do that and there's just sort of easy access to it and there's no effort involved and you can essentially rape these things i mean that is i'm sorry that's a no-go area yeah, i think that's we really a big need to get no, to the no. bottom of that my friend whitney cummings just did a netflix special and she made this company made her sex robot everybody's buying this sex robot now Oh yeah sales went up for uh fucking sex dolls yeah Unbelievable. Now, my question, final question is, what do you think the Amish got to be thinking right now? <laughs> like, the Amish are like, we don't take, but yeah, but I don't take no pictures or nothing. We just grow the crops and we just love the ladies. And now, now you got flying drones coming in. They're like, why did we even bother not being a part of this? Like, what are the real world applications for Amish people? You know, I think more and more people, when they see this stuff, are probably thinking, Perhaps at my worst moments, myself included, maybe we need to actually go back to be a little more like the Amish. Maybe they've actually sort of cracked the code on things. There's a funny story about the Amish. A few years ago, the Pentagon installed this giant surveillance blimp in Maryland. The idea was that it could it was a test system to detect incoming cruise missiles to the eastern seaboard, right? It was terrifying. If you took the Amtrak down to D.C. from New York, you could always see it. And then one day, this machine breaks loose. It has this long metal cord attaching it to the ground, and it breaks loose. And where does it go? It makes a beeline for Amish country. It what? goes to deep Pennsylvania. <laughs> yes. And it's dragging its tether along and making troughs in all of these old Amish fields and terrifying everybody in its path. And then finally, they were able to stop it, but not before it had carved out a whole chunk of the 
the countryside. I mean, you, you look at something like that, and then you look at your horse and buggy, I can only imagine that you might think that you have a better way of living. I have a question from, is there any other country that has a system like this, like a Gorgon, like Russia or China that are thinking about doing it? Because we know that Israel has a system uh, very similar to uh, to Gorgon Stair. In fact, it may even be capable of watching an even wider area. If you think about how small the the Gaza Strip is, that's a, a pretty worrying notion. Um, with one aircraft, you can watch a huge area. We know that a lot of researchers in China are investing a lot of energy and resources into investigating the technology. Uh, interestingly, the Chinese researchers mean, seem to be primarily interested in automating the surveillance technology, which is something that we haven't talked about. So how do we get this data, this big old video, and actually use algorithms to spare humans the tedious task of watching everything that happens? What if you had an algorithm that detects when someone's doing something suspicious before they've actually committed a crime? Yes. Then you're getting into sort of minority report territory. The, the, the Air Force and the Pentagon at large have invested significantly in that kind of capability too. Uh, China seems to be catching up and they probably are doing it because they have some sense that they're going to have these cameras themselves. Russia, we're not so sure. Uh, we don't have any clear evidence, but I feel like it's only a matter of time. Wow. Well, uh, he is author Holland Michelle. He came on. He rocked. He's the author of Eyes in the Sky, The Seeker Rise of the Gorgon Stare, and How It Will Watch Us. Uh, if our listeners or, and people watching on YouTube want to check more stuff of yours out, where should they go? Well, you can just... Google Eyes in the Sky, uh, The Secret Rise of Gorgon Stare. You can go to my website, ArthurHollandMichelle.com. I'm on Twitter at uh, WriteArthur, W-R-I-T-E, Arthur. Uh, that, those are the main spots where you can find everything that I'm, uh, that I'm up to. The book is also available in audiobook format. We had this great voice actor, LJ Ganser, read it. It's a really fun listen if you commute a lot. Um, yeah, it's all out there. should be easy to find. Well, you are excellent. Please come back on anytime you got anything you want to talk to us about. Uh, it was a great pleasure. episode. Was it the weirdest interview you've ever done or is this... No, no, I've, I've, I've had some, I've had some pretty curious ones. Have you heard of a show called uh, Coast to Coast AM? Yeah, wow. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I did that show in New York. I was in New York and it was 1 a.m. New York time. And the only place where I could get a landline was in a, actually a high school library oh my. where my father-in-law works. So I was sitting in this creepy high school library at 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. Terrified, talking to good old George Nori <laughs> about all of his crazy wild theories. It was pretty, pretty special, yeah. Well, you were excellent. Uh, we appreciate you coming out. If you're in L.A., please stop by. And, uh, man, thank you for doing the show, man. I appreciate you. Oh, thanks. I'd, I'd love to come back. It's been a pleasure. Anytime, all the time. Guys, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe button. Tell your friends about the show. The show is growing, and it only grows when you let your friends know about it. Uh, pleasure as always. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, everybody. And I uh, will see you again soon. Take care.